Hello, everyone. Welcome to All Things Pilates. I'm Darian Gold. And grab the front of the chair right into your tendon stretch. Yes, come on, even if you don't go high. That's it. That's it. Nice long legs. Take those ribs up. The lower ribs have to lift, not the hips. And open the chest and lift your spine. Good. Press your head into your hands. Ooh, Sally. My guest today is Tracy Belcher, the founder and managing editor of the popular Pilates blog and brand, Pilate. Tracy is a Pilates instructor, Franklin Method teacher, and former marketing and communications professional. In the early 2000s, while on her way to becoming a full-time contemporary Pilates instructor, Tracy learned there was more than one approach to the Pilates method, and not just the version she was taught, which focused on corrective exercising from a muscle-specific protocol. As Tracy moved through her contemporary circles at studios and continuing education workshops, she heard fellow instructors mention classical Pilates and how it was an outdated approach that was unsafe for most people and it ignored modern science. Tracy wanted to find out for herself, and boy, did she. In fact, not only did she begin studying classical Pilates and fall in love with it, but in 2016, she earned her classical Pilates certificate. Tracy's own words sum up her experience moving from contemporary to classical Pilates this way. You know how people describe parenthood as a before and after, meaning they don't know what they live for before having a child. Well, that's how I felt while studying the classical system. Like, what the heck had I been doing all this time? Though Tracy is completely obsessed with classical Pilates, she says it has a public relations problem. Actually, two. Problem number one, an awareness issue. People do not understand what classical Pilates is and what makes it different from its contemporary sister. Problem number two, an image issue. There is a perception of elitism and exclusivity. As Tracy explains, this generation of Pilates teachers and students don't care about past drama. It's a turnoff. We just want to learn the work. Tracy is zooming in from Miami, Florida, to help us figure out how to bring the classical Pilates method to current and future generations in an inclusive and inspiring way. Hello, Tracy. Thank you for joining us today. Yes. Thank you so much for having me, Darian. Absolutely. We have our work cut out for us, don't well, we? We do. Lots to talk about, but it's an exciting topic. I love Pilates, so anytime I have an opportunity to talk about this stuff, it's a, it's a fun thing to do. And I think the listeners are going to pick that up quite quickly. <laughs> Tracy, I imagine that being a top marketing professional came at a price. How did you handle the daily stress? Yeah, I was uh, working in a very fast-paced environment, a lot going on, a lot of deadlines. I started at a PR agency, 
where I was running accounts, maybe like anywhere from seven to 10 accounts at once. Each account had, you know, different team members to manage, lots of deadlines. And it was, it was a lot to deal with. And I, you know, I would try exercising and I just never really found anything that I love. Nothing really stuck. I tried kickboxing and running and, you know, just different things. And I would do it for a little bit, but then kind of lose interest. And that was until I, I think I found Pilates first. I, I did a mat class and I didn't love it. Um, it was... Yeah, I know. I remembered that recently. I, I was I thought my first experience was actually a reformer class, but it was a mat class. I I didn't love it. But then I got an email, like one of those marketing emails, and it was an intro offer for a reformer studio. And the second that I lay down on the reformer, I was like in love. Like I was hooked. It just I think at that point in my life, it just fit my lifestyle so well. I was able, you know, I, I worked the regular nine to six. But then with events on top of that, I was working really late nights, lots of cocktail parties and that kind of a thing. And so I'd have to work out in the morning, but I was so tired. And it was just a nice way to ease into the day without that kind of running and jumping and burpees and all of this stuff that like I don't want to be doing at 6am. <laughs> I think that was one thing about Pilates that really hooked me was that it just really it worked with my lifestyle. The Second thing was that I loved how smart it was. I loved how it made me think. It wasn't mindless movement, but it was it was really a, a lot deeper than that. And I think that's why I stuck with it. It it stimulated me mentally as well as physically. Your stress level lowered quite substantially then. Yes. Yes. So yeah, I mean, exercise is so important for that. I think that's one of the most important parts about exercise is how it helps you mentally, really. Um, even more so than, you know, it's great to have a, a tight butt, but, <laughs> you know, a sound mind is, is um, priceless. So yeah, it helped me a lot. Definitely. And that's, that's, you know, how I kind of went on to, to pursue a certification. I was never looking to become a Pilates teacher in the beginning. I just loved it. And I wanted to know more. And I wanted to know what my Pilates teacher's were thinking when they were going through the different exercises, why were they, you know, asking me to do this movement differently? You know, what was behind it all? I was just curious. So how did you make the jump then? How did you make the jump from director of marketing and communications to then becoming a Pilates instructor? How did you yeah. make that jump? Well, so, okay. So I was at the PR firm. That's when I was doing my just a, a student of Pilates at that point. And then I moved to an in-house position at what is now the Perez Art Museum, Miami. It's the museum, Miami's flagship art museum. It's a museum that, that recently, if you saw the Biden and Trump town halls during the election, they did it from that art museum, which is called PAM. So I was the director of marketing and communications there. I changed jobs and I was getting ready. They were opening that facility. We were moving from another facility into this world-class building. It was designed by um, Herzog and Demiron, who are world-class architects. Miami's, you know, one of the biggest, best things to happen in Miami in a really long time. It was a lot of exciting stuff going on. I handled everything in the marketing department and communications department for that, from the new website, the ad campaign, the entire social media campaign, the community relations campaign. I mean, everything, media, you know, bringing all the different arts writers from all over the world to come check out the museum, architect writers, everything. So there was a lot going on. It was a big job, but it was a great job. 
I don't know why I decided that was the time, <laughs> but I decided that was the time that I was going to go, you know, start a, a certification process. And I basically went and did my observation and my practice hours and everything before and after work. So I'd start teaching my friend Pilates as a practice body from 6 to 8.30, get over to the museum, do my day job, sometimes have an event. If I didn't have an event, go back, teach more Pilates, do more Pilates, go home, go to bed on the weekends, forget it. That's what I was doing. I was studying and trying to get those hours in because trying to get hundreds of hours of studying while you, know, you just don't have the time, there's, there's just not enough time in the day to do it all. You have to be very disciplined. So I don't know how I did that, but I did it. And that actually really kept me centered too. In a time that was like super stressful, one of the things that I've always kind of struggled with is when I get nervous, um, I'm not an extroverted person, but I have these extroverted jobs. You know, I'm in charge of doing these like super swanky cocktail parties and I hate small talk. So <laughs> it's a very uncomfortable position for me. And so I would self-medicate or whatever, or get a little social lubricant going by drinking, but then I would feel terrible the next day. And I think that Pilates was something that kept me from doing that too much. You know, I knew that I had to go do my hours the next day. It kept me from going out on the weekends. I think it, it really, even though a certification process is a huge undertaking and it's, it can be a very stressful thing. And the, the time that I was doing it, it actually kind of had the opposite effect in calming me and keeping me centered and grounded. And I learned while I was doing that certification process that I actually liked teaching, which was a huge surprise to me. And I was good, I was good at it. And that was also a surprise. Because like I said, I'm, I'm an introverted person. I'm not an extrovert. I love speaking with people one-on-one -on -one and having meaningful connections and conversations. But small talk is like my personal hell. Like I hate it. It's terrible. I, I, I'm, it makes me so deeply uncomfortable. I was surprised that, you know, when they would call me up and tell me to, you know, here, practice, teach this person, I would actually like really get into it and be, and be in a, a comfortable kind of place. You already have a skill set, though, that you're tapping into that maybe you didn't realize. Yeah. And that was, that was something, um, I think, the communication part of that, because um, I'm not a great speaker necessarily, but I like to write a lot. I'm a good editor, that kind of thing. And I think you have to be that way when you're teaching. You have to learn. I had to learn how to speak to my audiences in my job, especially with the museum. Sometimes my audiences were school children and I'd be writing you know, a speech for the director to give to kids. Sometimes I would be writing talking points for one of the curators or artists to give an arts writer of the New York Times. It just depended on my audience. So I think that helped me a lot just knowing how to kind of edit myself or, or, or to speak, to communicate and speak to a, to a specific audience. You had this high power job and lots of responsibility, cocktail parties, everything included, but were you not happy? Yeah, it was never really that fulfilling to me, which is a funny thing because it was truly a dream job. Anybody in Miami in marketing and communications would have wanted that job. It was a dream job. And I was just so unfulfilled. And I remember I went to, I was at my therapist's office and we were talking about how miserable I was. And she said to me, you know, well, why, what's the problem? And I'm like, well, you know, I don't have anything to talk to these people about. And she said, well, what do you like talking about? And I said, Pilates. And it just came out very 
you know, I wasn't thinking about it. I just kind of said it and I kind of laughed and expected her to kind of be like, okay, well, obviously you can't do that. So let's talk about something else. But instead she's like, okay, so let's talk about how to get you on a path to teaching Pilates. And, you know, I've spent all these years, 10 plus years, 15 years building this career, which was successful and I was good at it. And I, and I enjoyed it to a certain extent. It was something that I was good at and something that I, you know, I I knew how to do it. So how do you just leave that and just start over again at that point? Right. And I said, you know, I can't do that. I just, I won't make enough money. And she's like, well, the teachers that you're learning from are doing it. And there's all these studio owners around you doing it. So people are doing it. How are they doing it? And that just kind of put my mind on track to start kind of thinking about, okay, how do I do this? Like, what is the pathway? And the way that I kind of made the transition was very gradual. I, I started after I got my first certification, I started teaching two hours before work. Then that turned into, I mean, they offered me a job and I was kind of like, oh, well, I guess, you know, I'll do like one or two hours a week. And then of course, a couple months later, that turned into four hours a week. A month later, that turned into eight hours a week. And it just kept going and going and going until I was actually working like 20 hours a week. I was going before and after. I was going in late on Fridays. (laughs) I don't know how I pulled that off, but I somehow pulled off two reformer classes in the morning and then going in late on Friday. (laughs) I think by that point I had checked out and then I was teaching on the weekends. So kind of built my schedule. And I remember I invited a, a woman who was a boss, but also a friend and a teacher to come to the museum and kind of kind of talk me through it. And we sat down at the restaurant there at the museum and I just told her like, this is what I'm thinking. I, I, my mind, I'm here at the museum, but my mind is teaching Pilates. Like I want to make this jump and I know you have done it before. How did you do it? And she just kind of laid out, laid it out for me. And was like, here's what you can expect. You need at least a year where, you know, you'll be building your business where you can maybe, you know, have enough savings to get you through a certain amount of time, but just expect that it's going to be a little bit up and down and t- for about a year. And then it usually takes about that much time for people to have an established schedule. And from there, hopefully it will be smooth sailing. I had already put in my time as far as the non-ideal working hours. <laughs> So I I wasn't coming in expecting to be able to work from 11 to 2 every day or whatever. I had already kind of gone through that process and was and was used to to doing that. So so yeah, it it was gradual and then I finally I finally made the leap. And and then when I made the leap, I remember I was pulled in all these different directions because I was trying to work at several different studios, taking every job that I could. I was running around and you know, before long I figured out that you also have to be very selective about about where you work and how many hours you put in because that travel time, you know, it matters. If I was going back and forth for one hour all the way, you know, a half hour, driving a half hour, I could have had three classes at the same studio. You know, you have to kind of think about all of those, all of those things. So it took me a little bit to figure it out, but I am, I'm definitely in a, in a great place now. My schedule is amazing. I, I love, I'm perfect now. I have a home studio here. It's amazing. I work down the street, which is a studio that I absolutely love. It's one of my first jobs as a Pilates teacher. I have the same clients I've had from the beginning. Lots of wonderful people that I get to interact with there. So I I like being out of my house a little bit, but I also have, you know, my home studio where I practice and I have pretty much an invite only kind of situation. So I have only people who have really great energy and (laughs) yeah, we really work well together and it's, yeah, I couldn't, couldn't be happier. You say that the classical Pilates has an awareness issue and an image issue. And you should know because you come from that background. 
how would you bring about change? Because this is, this is what we need now to reimagine how the public perceives this classical presentation of this man's work. How would you bring about change now? Yeah. Well, there's a few things to think about. I mean, first of all, you have to identify what the issues really are, right? Before you can actually change them. So for me, with my experience coming into Pilates, uh, it starts with Pilates in general, not just classical contemporary. It starts with Pilates. People don't know what it is. They think it's just for girls. Only skinny people can do it. It's not really a workout. They're surprised to find out that Joseph Pilates was a boxer and not a ballerina. There's a lot of misconceptions about Pilates as a whole out there. Still, which is unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of my first jobs was at a health club, a really high-end health club, and they gave every one of their members a complimentary Pilates session. And so I think the difference with that kind of clientele versus a client who goes to, you know, seeks out a studio, goes to their website, you know, that client kind of knows a little bit. The people that I was seeing, they were coming in with a blank slate and they had no idea. So it was a really interesting kind of process to be able to, and I mean, I taught hundreds of those people. So it was a great learning experience to teach all these first time people and, and show them what Pilates was. But I think part of Part of what was really interesting about that was hearing everything that they thought about it that was just so wrong. I, one of my favorite things is when these guys would come in and they're like bodybuilders and they come in and they're like, oh, this is going to be just a stretch, right? We're just stretching today. And before you know it, they're like shaking and sweating and they're like, what? Their face is like, what was that? I mean, they just can't even believe it, that it was so different from what they had imagined. So yeah, so Pilates itself, I think is one thing. A lot of people think it's just like a mobility practice that they need to do cardio. They need to supplement it with these other, like, they think it's a supplementary kind of exercise practice. When what I found, especially, you know, once I was really honed in on the classical method was that it has everything that you need in it. It has the mobility. Yes, but it also has the strength training. It also has the cardio. I mean, a fast paced reformal order is amazing cardio you are going to be sweating. So, but you can also, you know, if it's a day where you're feeling super sore and super tight, yes, you can get mobility and flexibility out of it also. It just, there's so much to it that I think a lot of people don't realize. And then when we're talking about classical Pilates specifically, I really was interested in because I did start off with a contemporary certification. My certification process the contemporary certification process was amazing. It was a great, great learning experience. And it was a great kind of base for what I learned through my classical certification, which is, you know, I'm obviously focused on classical now, but I think it was nice. I think it was helpful for me to kind of be able to see it both ways and to kind of understand what, what both of these different ways, how their approach was different and how it worked. So when I started getting into this classical world, I think what kind of drove me there in a way was hearing people say things like it's dangerous and not everyone can do it. When I started actually learning classical, they were dead wrong. I have clients in my 20s and I have clients who are in their 90s and they can all do the classical work. Everybody can do it. Um, so I think that was one of one of the misunderstandings and misconceptions that I came across a lot. A, a lot of people think it's just the same boring order. They think we're just doing the same thing over and over again all day. I've never, I've never feel like I have taken the same class twice. I feel like 
you learn to work so deep and push yourself to the max that you're always making new discoveries in the classical method. I feel very mentally stimulated and challenged from it. So I think that's, you know, another kind of misconception to, to deal with. And then also the big one that really drives me nuts is when people say classical Pilates doesn't take into account modern science. So this just, it's just not true because a lot of the mentors that I've had and the teachers who I've worked with have been physical therapists. They're graduates of exercise science program. They do think about the body, how it works, functional movement, but they still teach Pilates to the whole body, which is why it works so well. PT and Pilates are two different things. And just because we're teaching to the whole body, because we're teaching classical Pilates, doesn't mean that we are ignoring modern science. That's just, I mean, that people who say that just don't know what they're talking about. That's not been my experience. So, you know, those are just some of the things that as far as misconceptions about what is all of this, those are kind of the most common things that I come across. It sounds like education. How can we bring about change? It's what you're saying, all of that is to educate people who don't know and to educate them in a way that as I said in the opening, that's inclusive, inspiring, get people's curiosity heightened. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think part of it is that people, well, goes into the second part, the image issue, right? So maybe people don't want to learn about it because it has, they have this idea that it's this kind of elitist and exclusive or snobby practice. I mean, it does have that image. We do. And it's not true everywhere by any means. I wouldn't be doing Pilates still if that were the case. That's not an environment that I like to be in, but it is a thing. I think that there's different ways to kind of approach that. The issues I see in classical Pilates are a lot like the issues I dealt with in the art world. So like when I was working at the museum in the art world, I was dealing with intellectuals and artists who wanted their work to be taken seriously. And they were very protective of preserving the integrity of their art, understandably. And that manifested into an elitist culture. So the challenge then becomes, how do you make this more accessible without dumbing it down or changing the meaning of the work, right? So sound familiar? <laughs> very much. It's very similar to what we're dealing with in Pilates because we don't want our work watered down. And we want to preserve the meaning. The history is important. but we need to be welcome and opening. We need to get rid of this elitist, this whole, that's not Pilates kind of a thing. When we do that, when we speak about Pilates as if our training is better than the person next to us is training and, oh, well, that teacher, they don't know because they didn't go through this certification. Oh, like when we talk that way about our colleagues and about Pilates, it turns people off. And it has the, I mean, we want everybody to do classical, right? We love it. We want to share it. We want everybody to do it. But when we treat it as if it's this exclusive kind of club, it's counterproductive for what our ultimate goal is, which is sharing the practice with as many people as possible. So, I mean, I think when we talk about what do we do, the first thing we need to do is look at ourselves and think about how are we kind of perpetuating that stereotype? There's a couple different ways, I think. Like, first and most importantly, I would say we have to create accessible environments where people feel comfortable and safe. So, you know, this is something that I did in the museum a lot. 
community relations was one of my kind of specialties. And I focused on this a lot. So for instance, when an artist is coming to the museum, let's say we have a Haitian artist coming to the museum. We want to invite the you know, Haitian community in Miami to come to the museum. So how do you do that? You don't just say, oh, well, we have a Haitian artist, so they should come. No, you go into the community. We would, you know, seek out who are the community leaders who can kind of help us get the word out. What are some of the community organizations we can reach out to? Go to the Little Haiti Cultural Center, leave some stuff there, maybe have a program there for them. You got to get out there. You've got to create, you got to go out into the community and invite people in. You can't just expect them because you say you have a men's class, for instance, expect men to come you actually go out and you invite them in. So I think that's one of the big things that we need to do to get more people and more different types of people, right? To come in and to enjoy Pilates and learn what it's all about and feel comfortable in our studios. And it's more challenging now because of COVID. And the, the yeah. conversation for the most part is going to be like we are doing right now through Zoom or other platforms. Not all studios are open. And it, I think many studios are now going to go into lockdown around, around yeah, the globe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, second wave now. I know, terrible. But we can keep talking and we can keep sharing and we can keep encouraging. And for me, I think one of the most important qualities that we as educators need to have is to stimulate curiosity so that people like you're saying will reach out because they want to know more. They want to know what is this type of conditioning that has been put in a, a very negative light. Yeah. So I, th and so that kind of brings me on to the next tactic. And these are just kind of like really like general things that I'm thinking about now, um, any kind of communication or um, community relations strategy is obviously going to look different for every studio because it depends on who your audience is, who your community is, you're trying to engage, but you got to think about your marketing materials. So people, the thing with marketing materials, like, you know, website photos and social media photos and all this, you need your audience to be able to see themselves in your marketing materials. So if you're a person of color, if you're overweight, a senior citizen, whatever, are you going to feel comfortable going into a studio if the image on the homepage is of four white, like 20 something ballerina bodies who are like moving perfectly in sync, like with a slight scowl on their face, you know, like <laughs> you're, you, that's not welcoming, you know, that's not inviting. So like, why not? Like if you're trying to attract, you know, an audience maybe of athletes around or lots of like cyclists or, you know, runners, or you have a, you know, an active community around you and you want to invite those people in, put pictures on your website of like people who are sweating and moving and working and really energetic. If you, you know, have a community around you that you want to engage of mothers put that make sure they can see themselves in the photo. That's, that's so, I've seen so many so many websites that just look so cold, especially in classical, because I think, I think we want, we take ourselves very seriously in classical. We take, and it should be taken seriously to an extent, but it's exercise. We are not saving babies here. We're teaching exercise. <laughs> so yes, it's important, but I mean, let's put it in perspective and make it more inviting for people and, and create more entry points for people. Another thing people can do to kind of make it more inviting is work with your community and offer a community class and go to a local park or a rec center. We talk within our industry a lot about how 
it's not accessible to everybody. I mean, we're charging a hundred dollars class usually. So we say that, and we know that Joseph Pilates wanted everybody to do Pilates, but how do you really do that? If you're charging a hundred dollars, you've just taken out a whole audience of people who can even try it. So, that, I mean, that's another way. If that's something that's important to you, you do a community class or offer a mat class. Now, what's really great about the pandemic time is that we've all learned how to work online now. And so we can do online classes and we can offer it to more people. It does make it more accessible in that way to more people, which is not a lot of great things came out of the pandemic, but that might be one of them. I think we also need to stop talking about what others are doing wrong and just focus on the merits of our own work. In my experience, I have heard people talk about each other. Oh, that person, their certification wasn't as, you know, and I think it's a turnoff. I think if instead of talking about what other people are doing wrong, we were to like celebrate the system instead of saying, no, they're not doing Pilates. What they're doing is something, you know, I don't know what they're doing. This is what, forget that. Just celebrate the system and people will be more drawn to that. Talk about the changes you've experienced, post photos of the process, make it fun and real and authentic. And I think more people will listen and follow us. I think a lot of why people are not as attracted to classical Pilates, I think it's just because it's not always presented in as friendly of a manner. And I think if we can present it in a more like friendly, open and inviting way, because we all love it. So show how much you love it and talk about how much you love it and forget about what everybody else is doing that you don't like. Nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to hear you complain about the person next to you. Thank you, Tracy. That's good. Thank you. I think another important thing to think about is that we need to be really confident. Um, we need to be confident enough in ourselves to stop caring so much what our colleagues think about us. And we need to start thinking about how we want to be perceived by the general public. So what I mean by that is don't replicate, don't seek to just replicate your mentor or teacher. You have to kind of take the good with the bad in every situation. And I've been guilty of this along the way where I catch myself saying something and I'm like, wait a minute, I didn't like when my teacher said that to me. Why did I just say that? And I have to stop myself and be like, okay, Tracy, you're drinking too much Kool-Aid, put it down. Who is it when you started off this journey? Who did you want to be? What kind of a teacher did you want to be? And get back to that. So I think sometimes what comes off as endearing when one person does it in a certain time period can come off as snobby and elitist when we replicate that behavior today. We're in, we're in a completely different place today than we were even five years ago, let alone 10 years ago or 20 years ago. You got to think about the current climate and what people are looking for. And we don't want division and fighting and all of this. Pilates is our escape from all of that. The world, is, the world has enough of that right now. Tracy, let me let me move forward into another question because it dovetails a little bit of what you're just saying. Sure. What do you think is the most important quality a Pilates teacher should possess? I'm inspired by so many different qualities in teachers, but in my opinion, the best teachers are students. So the teachers who have made the biggest impact on my journey have always been ones who are actively learning and exploring the method themselves. I think as teachers, we feel sometimes like we need to have all the answers, you know, like we can't say, I don't know. But for me, the teachers who have been able to say, I don't know the answer to that question. What do you think? Let's look at that. Let's have a dialogue. I think those have had the biggest impact on my journey. 
you know, I was curious about classical Pilates because after my contemporary training, I would go to workshops and speak with instructors and hear these things about Pilates, classical Pilates being outdated and unsafe, isn't functional, ignores modern science. But then I would actually see people who were doing classical Pilates and they looked like they were doing very well and their clients were doing well. I was curious. I needed to see for myself. So I just explore the classical method and I was approaching it with a certain level of self-confidence in my own teaching already. Let me go back to the, the quality of a teacher. Would you say confidence is one of them? Definitely confidence, but also being humble at the same time. I mean, you have to kind of have a balance of both. So there were times when I would ask questions in classical environments and it almost felt like I was challenging the presenter. I was used to being in learning environments where we discussed ideas openly, lots of critical thinking. There's lots of different ways to um, approach a problem and there's lots of different answers. And that doesn't mean that because one is right, another is wrong. It's just a different approach. In some of the classical environments I was in, a lot of different situations with, with mentors and teachers, I think some of them felt like they couldn't say that. They couldn't say, I don't know. Or maybe they had never asked their teacher or were afraid to ask their teacher. So yes, confidence is important, but not any more important than being humble. I remember I went to a yoga class once and it was a workshop and the instructor just said, look, I'm here with you guys. We're all in this together. I'm learning right along you. Like, let's do this. I'm facilitating this, but I'm a student here too. And that was one of the best experiences that I've had. Um, it wasn't somebody sitting up in front of the group saying, because I said so. It was somebody saying, let's figure it out together. Uh, so for me, that's, that's what worked. Yes, confidence, enough. Confidence in the way, not that you are confident you know all the answers, but confident enough to say, I don't know, or that's a really good question. We should look into that more and talk about that. Agreed, yeah. agreed. And encouraging people to ask questions. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's important. Hi, my name is Diane, and I've been practicing Pilates for 10 months. Before I started Pilates, my hips used to hurt, and my doctor said it's just to be expected. I'm 56 years old, and my doctor, who's about a decade older, said that happened to her and she had to have hip replacements. But after three or four months of doing Pilates, the hip pain completely went away, and it's just been gone. And now, Back to All Things Pilates with Darian Gold. Tracy, you have a website called Pilate. Tell us about it. I do, I do. So Pilate.com is, is a blog and a brand. And then I also have my kind of community interacts through Instagram primarily. I do have a Facebook also, but I tend to steer away from Facebook these days. Um, Sounds and, like we all are. <laughs> yeah, probably probably a good thing. But started off as kind of my own exploration as I was kind of moving through my Pilates journey, especially as I started getting into classical and started to kind of figure out like, what is different about this? What makes this different? Why do I like it? You know, just kind of exploring. And, and I think part of it had to do with that me being in a way afraid to ask questions or having questions that I wanted to ask, that I wanted to kind of learn things more deeply. Um, I think I expressed it a lot through the blog and through my Instagram page and people liked it and they started following along and, and answering and little by little, my um, 
personal page became more of a community page and it has kind of a life outside of me now. It's really a Pilates teacher community. It's about 75% Pilates teachers and 25% students uh, right now. Classical and contemporary? It's 50-50, which I I think is great because something to remember when we're talking about classical versus contemporary, it doesn't have to be a verse. Those contemporary students are your potential classical trainees one day. They could be one day. So it's like... I'm proud. I'm proud that it's 50-50 and that everybody feels comfortable there. But yeah, I have a lot of articles that are, that are really specific for Pilates teachers. I have one um, about how to be your own best boss and, and time management. I have a lot of articles that Pilates studios and teachers share with their audiences. So Pilates myths, for instance, what to wear to your first Pilates class stuff like that. Those are kind of my blog posts. And then my Instagram has become known for the memes, the, which, you know, I kind of take ideas that have been going around in my head a little bit or like funny things that I see in the, in the industry and, and kind of bring them to light, um, make a little, you know, make, a, make light out of them through these like little memes and jokes and, and people seem to relate to them and like them. So it's about celebrating the system without taking ourselves so seriously is really what it is. And, and people like it, they respond to it. It's very, I have a very um, interactive audience. Interesting. Yeah. I have a lot of engagement, lots of shares, lots of comments, lots of likes. That's why I'm saying with all of, with what I would like for classical teachers to kind of take away from this is we have to stop taking ourselves so seriously and stop alienating people and start inspiring people. I mean, I want people to, this system changed me in a a very, very serious and impactful way. And it changed my clients. As soon as I started doing classical Pilates, my body changed, my clients' bodies changed, and my business blew up. And it's so special to me that I want people to try it. I don't want them to be dissuaded or have a negative feeling about it. I want them to see it in all of its glory that, you know, you and I feel about it. So I think people should go, go to Palate, go on, go on the Instagram and kind of, kind of see how we're, how we're approaching it and, and some of the topics that we're talking about. And I don't know, maybe it'll inspire you a little bit to, um, I don't know, think outside the box a little. You have you know? readership that also make comments under each blog posting. The blo- it's more like my more, my like interactive community is more on Instagram. So yeah. So the blog is very well read and shared. That happens more, I'd say through Facebook. So yes, on the blogs where there are comments, it happens more on my social media side than on the actual blog itself. They, they share it from there to their social networks, which I think is better because it has more reach that way. When you share online, you're reaching more people than just people coming to the website itself. How did you get the name? Pilate. Well, I was, my nickname growing up was Tay. T-A-Y. My name's Tracy. So Tay. So I, you know, it was just like a cute little thing. And then along the way, kind of turned into my brand name, Pilate. Yeah, it just kind of stuck. I kind of, I don't know. I like it. I'm, I'm glad. What's your tagline? Because small muscles need love too. <laughs> <laughs> right now, I'm going to have a couple, I have a couple different taglines that I, that I, I have Pilate, um, Pilates, there will be sweat. 
was one. I mean, I've got I got a bunch of different little little taglines, but the one that stuck was because Paul small muscles need love too. So for current and future generations, you are speaking to them now. You want them to feel included in trying classical Pilates if they have been introduced to a contemporary version. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, well, first of all, I loved my contemporary program as well. And I learned a lot from that, but it's like what stuck for me and what changed me for myself was the classical. And what did you learn the most in the contemporary world though? So, I mean, I think the, the learning environment of the program that I went through was amazing. It was all, I mean, we were lots of critical thinking skills, the anatomy, um, learning and anat- learning contraindications, learning how to a client for learning how to program for a specific client and how to see, I mean, we know in classical, we say teach the body in front of you, but in my contemporary program, like we really did that every single time, you know, you actually programmed just for that person. So it was kind of taking that mindset into the classical world and, you know, not necessarily coming up with an exercise program that looked different for every client, but making sure that that exercise, like I'm going to teach hundreds to every client, potentially a little different depending on what their body needs. Right. But I'm still teaching the hundreds, but I might teach it and I might have somebody with low back problem, might have their feet elevated, somebody you can teach the same exercise many different ways. I think that I had a leg up because I already had the ability to do that, the critical thinking part of it and the programming part of it. But I think the learning environment, it was a, it was a good one. I had a great experience, you know, and then, and then I went from that, the contemporary program to Franklin method, which was a whole other thing of like learning how the body actually moves and how the bones, like the rhythm of the bones and how can you, use that in your to your advantage to get more movement and more healthy movement and imagery and all this stuff and then from there I went on to classical. I came into classical with already a lot of things that I was kind of thinking about. And those those two disciplines have influenced your classical teaching. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. And that's you know another thing I think about this whole classical contemporary thing. Like who cares? You know, like it's everybody is on their own path. Everybody is on their own journey. Who are we to say, or who am I to say the person next to me's journey isn't as relevant as mine? Or as worthy. As worthy. Yeah. Because look how I found classical through contemporary. I was in a reformer class. I was in a reformer class on, you know, reformers that would not be considered real reformers in some circles. And I fell in love with Pilates and I got a certification and that pathway that I took led me to classical. Here I am. But do I think that the person next to me in an Allegro group reformer class is any less worthy of than I am? No, that's their journey. You know, I'll tell you the moment that I realized that. So I had started my classical certification and I drank the Kool-Aid. I was like all in and I had a whole contemporary studio at my house, but I was like, I got to get rid of this stuff. I need, you know, I need the classical stuff. So this woman and I'm like full all in. So this woman comes to, to buy my equipment and she's so excited and she's like, oh my gosh, I finally get to have a ladder barrel in my house. And her husband was there like, do you think we can fit the chair? Do you think we can fit the chair in our home gym? And they're like, oh, I'm just so excited. They're so excited. 
And then she tells me, oh yeah, because I do my, I, I do classes at, and it was like a franchise. She was, she was doing classes at a franchise and you know how Pilates people love to hate franchises. And I remember thinking like, wow, that is really special. You know, like she is so excited. Her eyes were lighting up. It was just this really cool moment. And it just kind of disarmed me where I was like, who am I to judge or belittle this awesome experience this person is having because it's not real enough or good enough or classical enough. Like in that way, I don't think classical versus contemporary matters so much. And I think that if we're nice to each other. Oh, <laughs> you just said a very foreign word, nice to each other. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Like stop looking down on each other and just kind of celebrate each other and where they are in that moment. Because like me, I started contemporary. I don't, I, I do not regret that. And I don't think it was a lesser experience. I'm so incredibly grateful that it got me to where I am today. And I mean, like I said, it is a before and after for me. It's like when you find your life partner kind of a thing, you're like, well, none of those boyfriends before ever mattered because this is the person I want to be with the rest of my life. Those boyfriends still had, you know, I had great experiences. Like I'm sure they'll make a great husband to somebody else. <laughs> Or not, but this is, but or not, but but this is, you know, this is where my head is right now. This is what I love and what I like to share. But I, obviously, I, I think that we need to, to respect where, where other people are in their journey as well. I love it, Tracy Belcher. Fantastic talking with you today. You have so much to share, so much passion about the classical work and Pilates in general, and you have this wonderful platform to do it both on the website your facebook page and instagram and people can follow you by mm -hmm. on instagram they'll go to at pilate on the website is pilate.com and then facebook is just forward slash pilate thank you for your time today tracy thank you so much it was fun Hey everyone, are you a student that began your Pilates journey with a contemporary teacher and then decided to change to a classical teacher? If so, please leave us a message about your thoughts on your experience with the two different approaches. If we like it, we'll use your words in an upcoming episode. Just log on to the All Things Pilates with Darian Gold Facebook page. All Things Pilates is produced and hosted by me. Darian Gold. Podcast production is provided by Audio Ephemera. I'm Andy, the audio engineer for all things Pilates, but I'm also a student of Darian's. My Pilates practice has strengthened my core and more importantly, given me a new awareness of my body and its abilities. Darian doesn't hold back, but it's fun. And I always leave my sessions feeling energized. And I'm not the only one. Pilates is definitely one form of body conditioning that if you haven't got it in yourself, you cannot give it. And Darian Gold has got it. With the depth of experience working in her own body and getting the method in her own body and working with other bodies, she has so much potency to offer to anybody who wants to receive this method. I love her classes. She knows how to challenge everybody, whether you're an athlete or a dancer or someone who doesn't come from a background of movement. She is excellent with cueing. She's precise. She demands perfection. And in that, you really feel that you have accomplished something when you work with Darian. She's masterful. I love her classes. 
Visit DarianGold.com to view her online class schedule. Also try one of her apps, available on the App Store or Google Play. And to keep up with Darian and all her new interviews, subscribe to this podcast. Until next time, follow your path.